You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Listen, we're going to have a great day. This is what I want to start off with. We're going to get into our message in just a minute. We're going to cover this. It's important what we're going to talk about. But I believe that the Lord wants to do some things this morning at the end of service. The team's going to come back up. We're going to play a song. And I believe that the Lord wants to minister to many of you today in the area, dare I say, deliverance from fear. I think it's going to be a good morning. It's going to be a good morning. So I want you to set your heart there, set your expectation there, because God is doing a great thing on the earth right now. And there is no room for fear. There is no room for fear. There is no room for fear. Whether that fear comes from the mistakes of yesterday, that fear comes from what you think is in front of you in the future, that fear comes from not understanding the care of God, uh, that fear comes from a past experience, wherever it comes from, it has to be broken in order for you to do what God has called you to do. All right? So well, we're going we're gonna to give an opportunity for that at the end. I'm excited about that. I know the Lord wants to move powerfully in our lives. That's all of us. So today we're going to continue in on our journey through the Gospel of John. And we're going to be going into the ninth chapter of John's Gospel. And this whole chapter takes up one story. And this is the story of the healing of the man born blind. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a little bit of context to this. And basically, in this chapter, there's three parts. The first part is the interaction that Jesus has. It starts with a conversation with his disciples, and this is unique in a lot of sense. Uh, senses is that this is the only time the Bible records a healing of a man born blind. Keyword born. Jesus healed other blind people. There were other, other times that blind people were healed, but this man was born blind. And there's a significance to this because of the conversation that kicks this up. And Jesus actually, as opposed to a lot of the miracles that he performs where people come to him, Jesus actually goes to this man. And it's important that we see that and understand that because Jesus walks us through several principles helping us to understand the fullness of who he is. And as we get into this portion of John's gospel, this is the page that we're turning and we're talking about that even though the world wasn't ready for Jesus, they didn't understand that he was not uh, what they expected or what they, what they thought they needed. Now we see Jesus declaring who he is, beginning to get into the stride of his ministry as John tells us in his gospel. And we begin to see who he is and there's things that we must take away and let the Holy Spirit speak to us and so I'm excited about covering this chapter, and I pray that if you're taking notes today, just write some of these things down, but listen, listen with your heart, and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So this is what we saw last week in uh, chapter 7 and 8, that Jesus made a couple of declarations about himself. One was that he was the light of the world, one that he is the living water, and then we also saw the interaction that Jesus had with the woman caught in adultery, and we see the fullness of grace that he gave us. And here in chapter 9, what we see is this, is that Jesus comes in and he is a divider. He is a rule breaker, according to the Pharisees, and he is a healer. He's a divider, a rule breaker, and a healer. 
And if we're honest, in our culture, we love the, the, the backstory of the rebellious hero, the hero that breaks all the rules to do what is right. But Jesus does not fit this definition. Even though this was the definition that the Pharisees attempted to give to him, this is not who Jesus was. He did not come to break the law, rather to fulfill the law. He, did not, he didn't come to disrupt uh, the, 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 the truth of the grace of the gospel of Jesus, but rather to disrupt the truth of where people saw themselves according to the law. He became grace for mankind. By dividing, he united us in the truth of who he is. By breaking the letter of the law, he showed us that grace is greater. And as healer, he shows us that he is good and perfect. He did this by dividing religion from grace or, or, or showing us the difference between religion and grace, between sin and redemption, between judgment and truth. And in doing so, he redefined love for us. And we're going to talk through this, and I'm going to explain what this means and, and how important this is. But here's something that I want us to understand because Jesus in this chapter, we're going to see this idea of blindness and what this means both in the physical sense but also in the spiritual sense because Jesus though he heals this man who was born blind he also addresses spiritual blindness and one of the things that I want to start off right from the beginning is is that there's areas of our life that we have to always give the Holy Spirit permission to speak into our hearts so that we don't get spiritually blind and one of the ways, and this is why this story is so important, because Jesus tackles this very controversial subject of how sickness and sin are correlated. We're going to read through it. Don't worry. It's a great, great story. But the way that he tackles spiritual blindness in the heart of the Pharisees is by talking about this idea that we still push into this day when we try to define who God is. When we define God through our experiences or we define God through our interpretation, but it's absent of the truth of who he is. And we have to be careful because in the same way that Jesus, when he, he, he healed this man that was born blind, that he broke what the Pharisees said were the rules of the law of Moses to do so, but in reality, he was fulfilling it. He was showing the perfection of it through grace. They could not see it because they had a preconceived understanding of who God is based upon their experience. And when our experiences are allowed to create the doctrine of who God is, we get into a dangerous place. Does that make sense? When our past experiences, whether they're hurts or things God didn't do or didn't do the way we wanted to, when those begin to create doctrine of who God is, we get into a dangerous place and spiritual blindness will occur. And what Jesus does in this chapter is breaks all the rules and says, if you will abide in me, if you will have a living, intimate, daily relationship with me, you're gonna see the consistency of my grace as the light of the world in the living water. Okay? This is exciting. I, I got to stop saying that. You guys are going to see. All right. So let's look at this really quick, all right? 
In John 9, let's read. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 here. As he went along, he saw a man born blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, now I want you to pay attention here because this question is coming from his disciples, okay? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Boy, that's an abrupt shift right there, huh? Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent, so that the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. (laughs) It's kind of cool, huh? I'm the man. I am the man, right? (laughs) Sorry, I thought that was funny. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. I want to give just a bit of background on this. Jesus is presumably still in Jerusalem here. He is in Jerusalem after the festival of tabernacles. And what happens is that he and his disciples are walking along and what engages this interaction that, in, that brings about healing is a conversation his disciples bring to his attention. And this question, he says, teacher, they say, teacher, rabbi, was it this man or his parents that sinned and caused his blindness? And this seems offensive to us. And there's nothing wrong with this being offensive to us. But this is not an, uh, uh, in the context of where the this disciples were that day, this is a not an offensive question. This is a normal question. Because the belief was simple that sickness was a result of sin. But Jesus came and he reversed, he messed that up. He broke this, this rule here that they thought was a rule according to the law. And Jesus answers this question by throwing us into a fresh, renewed perspective of the grace and the glory of why Jesus came. And his answer was, which gives us understanding of the truth of who Jesus is, neither this man nor his parents caused this through their sin, but rather it is here, he is here, so that the works, the glory of God can be displayed in him. Jesus tosses out the wrong thinking directly. I've read a lot of commentaries on this, listened to a lot of scholars. There's a lot of mixed opinion on this as to say, did Jesus, did God ordain this man to be sick so that, so that Jesus could be glorified in this? And I want to say just unequivocally, no. No. What Jesus is inviting us to, and if we ask the Holy Spirit for eyes to see, we will too see this, is that Jesus was saying, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at this through the law. You're looking at this through the pattern of the world. But you don't realize that you're having an encounter with the light of the world. Don't we fall victim to that trap? 
Don't we try to sometimes look at the problems of our life and explain them through the perspective of this world or the perspective of our issues or our shortcomings when instead Jesus invites us to look through the lens of his spirit, to look through the lens of who he is. When we sang that song, man, I almost jumped up here. When we were singing, the the, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Do you know what you're singing? Do you understand what is being said as we sing that song? The purpose of that song is to bring us into an understanding, a revelation that when Jesus went to the cross and his blood was shed, there was something very significant that happened. Yes, the redemption of man was, was taking place in that moment. God was reconciling man back to himself through the blood of Jesus, but there was something physical that was happening. The veil that separated God from man was rent. It was torn from the top to the bottom. What does that say? It says this, that it has always been the heart of God and God's intent never to be separated by man. Why is that significant? Because our perspective shifts when God is near us. Why? Because everything must first be filtered through God before it hits you. Think about that for just a second. That it was in God's heart to say, I don't want man to entertain the things of this world apart from me because when I am with them, the filter comes through me and not through them. The disciples were asking the same question to Jesus that day. Who, why is this man sick? Is it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, you're missing the point. I want you to filter this through the light of the world. The glory of God is about to be demonstrated. Let's just do a little shimmy. All right. Friends, we, gotta, we, we really, 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 really need to come up to that. We need to ask the Holy Spirit for that. That's a good jam right there. That's all right. That's a good ringtone. Jesus, Jesus answers this. You're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the wrong thing. It's a beautiful opportunity to look into and step into his grace. And so Jesus then steps into the middle of the situation and unleashes an abundance of grace and healing in the most unorthodox way. This is one of these miracles that really kind of can, if we really think about it, gross us out. He spits into some mud, he makes a paste, and he rubs it on this man's eyes. I bet this guy was actually thankful that he was blind up until this moment. <laughs> because how many of you guys, if you would have seen that coming, would have been like, uh, is there a better way? <laughs> Can't you just speak it? But there was something very poetic that was happening here, if we choose to see it, that is, is so powerful. It's almost like I was talking with my brother-in-law, Josh, and we were discussing this, and he brought out this point to me that I think is beautiful. It's almost as if it's a rebirth, a recreation of of Adam. (laughs) That's all right, Layla. We're all on the same page. That's good. And we see this, and there's something powerful when we think about this, that the creator touches his creation of the earth. 
The scripture tells us that Adam was formed from the dust of the ground. And in the same way that God made Adam, he, he takes and he spits into this, his creation, this dust. But then he takes this mud and he puts it upon his prized creation, man. And it releases his authority. And what we see here, I want you to see here, is the connection of agreement that's taking place is that when the creator moves in his creation, creation must concede under his authority. When the creator moves on his creation, creation must concede under his authority. It's the same thing I see in the tomb. That rock didn't have an option to roll away. That mud knew what it was created for. <laughs> I'm going to get a little hokey for just a second, but I bet those little grains of mud there that day were like, Woo, this is what we were born for. This is what we were born for. He's about to spit. Hit me. <laughs> Let's do it. Here we go. We're mud now. Let's go. You guys... Thank you, thank you for putting up with my silliness. I'm, but what I'm trying to get you to see in, in, in the deepest sincerity here is that there was an active agreement that took place and it was finalized through this man's faith. And this is the way that God works and this is what we have to see and what Jesus is bringing us into this powerful principle here that we, we need to ask the Holy Spirit as we abide with Jesus to make alive inside of us that when God speaks, it's the authority of the creator. Friends, too often what gets in the way of us, us walking in the fullness of God is our objection to his authority. But if we would concede in the same way that this man conceded, why? Because what did Jesus ask him to do? I want you to go to the pool of Siloam. Now I want you just to, just to reconnect you into this place because it, last week when we talked about this, this is where they took and got the water and they took it to the, the courts of the temple and they poured out near the brazen altar. And this is where Jesus said, I am the living water. All those who thirst, come drink from me. And Jesus invites this man to go and as there, there's an activation of his faith and of his agreement. As the creator speaks, as the creator touches his creation, as there is a new birth, a rebirth, as that is, the, 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 the pattern of this world has to concede to heaven. We see this move. And in our life, if we would ask the Holy Spirit to begin to show us, to teach us this, we would see God move in a dynamic way in our life. Hmm. So I want to walk us through just a couple of principles that Jesus gives us on who he is as healer. The first thing that he does is he corrects the wrong perspective on sickness and sin. And I want to tackle this idea with a lot of gentleness here, with a lot of grace, because we have all lost somebody in sickness that was in faith. I have, ah, man. And we struggle with this if we're honest, but let me give you a perspective on why Jesus came and renewed this for us. And so we have to answer the question, does sin cause sickness? So I want to give you two perspectives. First is the 30,000 foot view and then one is a ground level view. And the 30,000 foot view is, the answer is yes. 
And the reason why it's a 30,000 foot view is because of this, because sickness is not God's creation. It is the result of original sin, the pattern of this world, what Romans 12 talks about. It is not God's design, it is not God's plan, it is not what he desires. But we can't say this without looking at the ground level view and the ground level view is where we must sit at and understand because it's the personal view and the personal, the ground level understanding of does sickness, is sin cause sickness? The answer is no, absolutely not, absolutely not. Sickness is not a punishment for sin brought on by God. It is not the result of the lack of faith. It is not the result of a wrongdoing. It is not. And this was the question that was asked by the disciples. It's an honest question. So Jesus invites us then into, and this is the second thing that he shows us to, once he's kicked out this idea for us to understand the next thing that he asks us to understand is he invites us in to see him as the light of the world and the living water. And he invites us into this fresh perspective of grace. We've all been affected by this, but Jesus gives us an invitation to look at his grace as the answer. He is healer. How he heals is perfect. And it's perfectly up to him. How he heals is perfect and it's perfectly up to him. But one thing that Jesus, I believe, makes very clear to us here is that we are given permission to trust him as healer. And we're also given the responsibility to trust his plan for healing. I've seen him heal completely. And I've also seen those who I love dearly perfected in his ultimate healing. But by choosing to trust him as healer, it allows us to rest in his grace and to know him as our perfect peace. So what should we do? And this is what I tell everybody, and this is what I believe, is that every time we're given the opportunity to, we pray for healing, we believe for healing. Why? Because he is the healer. And when it comes immediately, we rejoice. When it takes time, we trust. And when we don't see it the way we want to, we know and we trust that he is good. This is something that we wrestle with. But this is why this passage is so important for us. Because it doesn't make sense in, this, in, in terms of looking for an exact model. And if we step away from the text for just a second and we look through this a little bit clearly, what we see is this, is that Jesus did not use a model here. And it can't be overstated enough, this understanding that this makes sense only when we abide in him and with him. Only when we abide in him and with him. And we come into the fullness of his grace. And that's the third thing that Jesus shows us in this first part of this chapter. As he shows us that truth comes from focusing not on the model, but rather who he is. 
The truth of the grace of Jesus means that we have to abide with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that in just a second in the, in the, in the, the last part of this chapter. But Jesus gives us a principle here to protect us. Because if we only trust our experiences on either side of the fence, we'll create spiritual blindness. But when we learn to abide in him, we learn to see the consistent revelation of his grace. Again, we've been given permission to believe him as a healer. He asks us, I believe, for us to reach out to him in faith for this. It's never wrong to ask God to heal and believe him as healer. But we must resist our expectations and past experiences as a guide for what Jesus must do. He is good. He is perfect. He loves you and cares for you completely. I hope that makes sense. Let's go a little bit deeper and learn how we abide in him, okay? Again, this chapter is one that we wrestle with. One that challenges us, that pushes us into the presence of God to begin to understand Jesus for who he is. So in the last part of this chapter, what we see is this. There is a middle part, and in the middle part, what takes place is the Pharisees get wind of what happened to this man, and they begin to interrogate his parents and then him. And in reality, they're interrogating Jesus. They're trying to trap him to debunk what people are beginning to believe that Jesus is Messiah, that he is God. And it culminates in the middle section of chapter nine with a conversation between this man who is now healed, who was born blind in the Pharisees. They keep asking him the same questions and finally this man gets a little sarcastic and says, why do you keep asking me this? Do you wanna be his disciple as well? His disciples as well? And they look at him and they said, you've been you, you, who are you to instruct us? You're a man who has been sinful from birth. They go back to this, this spiritual blindness here. And this is where we pick up here as we understand how to abide with Jesus. How to look at him as the living water and the light of the world and to receive that, that, that abiding grace and peace that comes. In John 9, 35 through 41, it says this, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when they found him, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me that I, might, that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you see, your guilt remains. Whew. So how do we grow in faith in his grace? How do we avoid spiritual blindness? How do we abide in him? The first thing is this. It's very simple, it sounds simple, but it takes a little bit of, 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 of faith to walk in. The first thing is this, believe in him. Believe in him, move in faith. The faith in his faithfulness, faith in his truth, faith in his grace, faith in his complete care for your life. 
But there's something unique about the language that's used here. When Jesus asks him the question and he says, listen, do you believe in the son of man? Jesus isn't simply asking him, do you believe that I am the son of God? But when we read this and we understand this, what he's asking him is this, do you believe that I am the son of God and that I am greater than the trials and the opposition of your life? What Jesus was asking him is this, I am the Messiah. Do you believe this? In spite of the things that have just happened to you, in spite of the rejection that you're facing, in spite of you being kicked out of the temple, in spite of your family maybe turning their back on you, do you believe in me over the opposition of your life? And this becomes our prayer. This becomes what we ask the Holy Spirit to do in our life when it comes to abiding with him, even in the most difficult times of our life, is that we step into this place and we say, Holy Spirit, would you begin to build faith in me that causes me to believe in the truth of who Jesus is that is greater than the opposition that I face in my life? Will you build faith in me that I would keep my eyes fixed on him even though the world around me is shaking and moving and I don't understand. In order to do this, and this is painfully practical but so important that we have to have a daily intimate relationship with him. It's what Pastor Justin said when he talked about Mary and Martha. The difference between sometimes getting preoccupied with the things of this life and neglecting the things that matter the most is that part of believing in him, abiding with him, means that we develop a love and a passion for him and for his presence. And, if, and, and understand this, and we know this, I know you know this, but as a reminder, as an encouragement to every one of us, that it's just like working out. It's just like getting on a diet. We always start tomorrow. <laughs> I told my wife this, I want to start working out. But I realize I've been saying that for like a few weeks. And I enjoy working out. I don't enjoy starting. <laughs> In the same way, what we find is this, is that when we create a habit to daily, to daily abide with Jesus, and, and, and let me just make this extremely practical for you when it comes to how we do this. But again, we understand the importance of this because if we filter our expectation of Jesus on our, on our past experiences, we're gonna create spiritual blindness, but if we stay in a place where we abide with him, the grace of Jesus is gonna remain in us. It's gonna perfect us. It's gonna make us complete. But in the most simplest way is this, is if you would just set a time aside every day and make it a priority, what starts off as a task will become a joy. It will become a joy. It will become a joy. You will long and love being in the presence of Jesus. You'll begin to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. You'll begin to learn to trust him, to take steps of faith moving forward in him. You'll learn to stay connected to him in spite of the conditions of your life and what's raging around you. The second thing that I believe we see here, Justin, come on up, bud. The team can come up. 
is that maybe we need to ask the Holy Spirit to remove the obstacles in our life that create wrong thinking about who he is. And this is a personal invitation between you and the Lord. For the man that was born blind, the, the obstacle was his physical blindness. Jesus overcame that. For the disciples that day and for the Pharisees around, the people that were listening, the obstacle was spiritual blindness. But maybe the Holy Spirit needs to heal a wound of expectation. Maybe something took place and it it wounded your heart, it wounded your soul. And it created a barrier for how you believe and you trust God and how you see God as good. Friends, in order to walk in the grace of Jesus, you have to see him as good in everything that he does. Maybe today we need to ask the Holy Spirit for fresh eyes to see the goodness of God, to see his faithfulness, to trust his faithfulness. Maybe we need to ask the Holy Spirit for freedom to trust him in a fresh way. And I want to say this with a lot of grace. Because I know that today I'm talking about some sensitive areas and I wrestled with this and as your pastor, I I want you to know that I'm not ever attempting to come up and spit out a blanket truth apart from respecting and loving as much as I can the individual stories that exist in this room. And I know that not every story is the same. I know that there have been people that have walked through trials that I can't even comprehend. And what I declare to you is the grace of Jesus. I know that there are people here that have wrestled with the idea of saying, God, this shouldn't have happened this way. And what I declare to you is the grace of Jesus. And the only thing that I can tell you is this, is that he is good, that he is perfect in all of his ways. And friends, that doesn't make sense as simply just a principle that we take in and we write down and it stays in our head. It only makes sense in the idea of abiding with him. And when we abide with him, what happens is that we get to, if we choose to, open up our heart Allow him to heal the places of our heart where maybe there's been a wound. Maybe there's been an attempt by the enemy to limit the goodness of God. Maybe there has been a place of fear that even stands in the way of saying, God, are you healer? I know I have dealt with that. Oh my goodness. And the only way we get free from that is by coming and asking the Holy Spirit, to create in us the right understanding about the truth of the goodness of God. And the last thing is this, and I love this, that this man immediately, when he stepped in by an act of faith into his belief that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, God in the flesh, that what he did is he worshiped him. And part of our abiding with him and and understanding this and growing in this grace of who he is means that we have to make a declaration of his goodness because when we do, it disarms the lies of the enemy. 
What does that mean? It means this, that our confession is God in all things you are good, that you have been good to me. God, you are faithful and will faithfully fulfill the promises that you've given me. I trust your ways. God, I receive you as a complete healer in every area of my life, my body, my soul, and my spirit. In every area that I need healing, I receive you as healer. When we put these things into action that Jesus gives us, I believe Jesus gives us permission to, what we begin to see is that as the good father, his goodness made alive in us. And friends, listen to me. You don't want to live through the expectations or the letdowns of your life and define God through that narrow window. And there's not one person here that's free from that, that has not walked through that, that has not had the opportunity, has not heard the lie of the enemy to try to define God through that, through that experience. But today, listen, today, the Holy Spirit gives us an opportunity to step into the revelation of his goodness, to see him as the good, perfect father. By healing those areas of our heart, helping us to abide with him, by helping us to understand the fullness of his goodness. <laughs> oh, man. Man. Oh, I just declare grace, 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 grace in the name of Jesus. Grace, 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 grace. Oh, grace in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. And as this team sings this song, I, I want to invite you. Listen, we'll, we'll dim the lights. I'm going to invite you to stand in just a second. We're going to close with this song. And, and as we sing it, if you need to, there is some... And I, there's a connection. I believe there's a connection. I'm just going to speak for just a second about this. There's a connection sometimes for us, our ability to trust God and the fear that exists that the enemy tries to get us to bite onto. Okay? There have been specific areas of, of, that the enemy has tried to launch fear in your, in your heart. And it is an attempt to thwart you, to deter you from doing what God has created you to do, seeing God the way he is. And what needs to happen is this. It's not, it is not by the, it can be, the laying on of hands, but that's, here's the thing. It's an active step of faith. Does that make sense? Okay. And so as we dim the lights and as we sing this song, if that's you, I want you just to come up and to find a place up at the front. You can create a spot. You don't have to stand right here. You can stand off to the side, find a place, and begin to offer that up to the Lord and say, God, I cannot carry this fear anymore. It is not mine to carry. You did not come so that I would be bound to fear but I'm inviting you to break this fear and to bring the fullness of your life and your peace and your future and your hope in my life. Okay? <laughs> All right. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you today. Our first declaration, God, is that you are good. You are good. You are good. 
You are good. You are perfect in all your ways. And so, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus, Lord, for every person here, God, that we would abide in you, that we would walk in the fullness of your grace, that we would begin to understand your goodness, Lord, where the enemy has tried to uh, see us, cause us to see you through the perspectives and the experiences of our life, has tried to limit the goodness of God. We break those lies in the authority of Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I pray that a revelation of your goodness, the good Father, would begin to fill hearts, begin to fill minds. Lord, where you need to heal wounds, God, you heal wounds. We submit those to you, Lord, because we know what you're calling us to. Lord, the confession of our mouth is that in all of your ways, you are good, you are perfect, you are true. In all of your ways, God, I thank you that you are a healer. I thank you that you're a healer, God. There are people in this room and people that are connected to people in this room, Lord, that we know, people that we know, that need a physical touch of your healing. And God, we stand in faith that you are healer, that you are healer, that you are healer. I thank you for healing in my life, God. I thank you for healing, Lord, in the lives of those who are walking through things they don't there's not an answer to the people that we love Lord we thank you for your healing God we trust you as healer we trust you as healer Holy Spirit would you help us to abide why don't you stand up to your feet please so the next few minutes we have as the team sings this song I'm going to As they begin to sing, I want to just invite you to come to find a place at the front to make some space for God to move. I'm going to be up here. If you need to have God specifically break an area of fear, please, 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 don't leave today. Don't leave today. Take a step of faith. Trust God. Trust God as you move that fear is being broken. Go ahead, guys. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Mm. Mm. Hey, can you be seated really quick? I want to tell y'all something. <clears throat> Thank y'all. I know, it's, I know it's late. I know it's time for lubies. It's luby time. Moving, moving in faith. Now, this is going to sound contradictory to what I just did, what we just prayed for. Doesn't mean that there is not going to be a little bit of fear present. And I want you to hear this. Because you, you, we prayed that God would break fear. God is breaking fear. He's breaking the stronghold of fear. But as you step out in faith, the enemy is going to try to get you to believe that lie again keep moving keep moving keep moving let me be vulnerable with you guys for just a second okay because I don't want to have any pretense with you guys to say that I don't wrestle with this and struggle with this just like you tomorrow I am going to see my kidney doctor and I made a frightfully terrible decision 
That when I get my blood work drawn, I get my blood work before my doctor does. Well, not before him, but I get to see it before I go. And for the last two days, I've been on my phone on this app checking for an update, for an update, for an update, for an update. I had anxiety dreams. I got it in. Nothing changed. And today, my, my wife's not here. She's with my daughter. She's, my daughter's going with the band to go to Disney. I'm bringing this around. Just, just follow me for a second. And every time we take communion, I take it as a family. But today, I'm literally by myself. As I'm standing up here, God said, before I just took the juice, I was just going to kind of just take it and go, okay, thank you, Jesus. It's good. God said, wait, wait. And he just asked me again, Andy, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And what he was inviting me into is this, is saying, Andy, don't stop moving, even if you feel afraid. Even if you feel afraid, don't stop moving because nothing changes the promises that I've given for you, right? So why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because if you leave this place and you came up and you believe God for fear, that fear is broken, fear has been broken. But if you hear the lie of the enemy try to step up, there's two ways to combat it. You say you disarm it in your brain. You say, no, uh-uh, my mind is bound to Christ. Nope, this is a lie. But the best way to do it is to start moving the direction you've been called to move. Start moving into life. Start moving into life. Start moving into calling. Start moving, start moving, start moving, start moving, start moving. Don't stop. All right? All right. Man. Wow. I love you guys. I love, I love what God is doing. All right. Let me bless you guys, and then you can go eat at Luby's. All right? Who, does anybody eat at Luby's by a show of hands? You can go to the wheelhouse, all right? You can go, <laughs> you can go to Touch a Cajun. I don't know. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go, all right? Ronnie said that he's going to pay for it, all right? So just wherever you want to go. Hey, y'all, Ronnie hugged me today. Can we celebrate that for just a second? Thank you, Ronnie, for hugging me. Don't deny it. You love me, all right? All right, let me bless you guys. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you. I thank you, God, for what you're doing. Lord, I thank you for your people that you love. I thank you for your people that you've called. And God, I thank you for the gifts and callings that you put inside of them. I thank you, Lord, that it is um, just an understanding and a revelation of your goodness, God. So, Lord, let that just be made alive inside of us as we step forward. And, Father, as we step forward, Lord God, no matter what we, we hear, no matter what the enemy tries to pop in our ear, God, let us continue to walk in faith. Continue to walk in faith, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. I love you so much. Amen, 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 amen. Have a great, great day. Love you guys. We'll see you Wednesday or next Sunday.